Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Bill Press Pod Reporters Roundtable. I'm Ginger Gibson, Senior Washington Editor at NBC News Digital, sitting in for Bill. Here in our nation's capital, it's about 8.30 in the morning on Friday, November the 17th. Washington averts a shutdown. Again, for now, Chip Roy goes on a rant in a raucous week for Congress. Botox, Ferragamo, and George Santos? Can Nikki Haley make the Republican primary a two-person race? And Trump talks about vermin and institutionalizing his foes. Biden meets with President Z and are the pandas coming back to the states? To make sense of all of it, our three top Washington reporters. First, my colleague at NBC News, senior digital reporter Alex Seiswell. Hey, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Igor Bobic, senior political reporter for HuffPost. Hey, Ginger. And Amanda Becker, politics and Washington reporter for 19th News. Hello. Good morning. Let's jump right in to the really strange, um, but kind of in some ways smooth week we saw in Washington. Igor, there's not going to be a shutdown. Um, what happened, uh, kind of an anticlimactic turn on the Hill this week to get us to fully fund it again, at least for now? Well, you know, as these things usually, as these things usually go, uh, people want to have a holiday break and really go off and eat their turkey for Thanksgiving. So um, the House Republicans, the conservative troublemakers, uh, decided not to wage a fight over government shutdown at the moment. Um, and punt uh, this issue until next year in January and February. So uh, appears everybody's getting a break um, for a couple weeks at least uh, as they uh, regroup and um, you know go see their family and try to try to um, not have fights anymore. So we'll see. Amanda, does this mean that the error of Speaker Mike Johnson means we're past government shutdowns and? Congress is just going to function and pass spending bills all the time if we entered a new new era? Oh, I think uh, that that is still a bit of a leap. Um, <laughs> as he just said, you know, the closer we get to the end of the year, um, the more the lawmakers want to be home. They do not want to spend Thanksgiving here. They do not want to spend Christmas here. They do not want to spend New Year's here. Um, I think the real test of Johnson's leadership will come in January and February when some of these CRs start to expire. I mean, they were able to keep the government open um, with a lot of Democratic support. And so, you know, it wasn't necessarily indicative that his um, conference is completely on board with him or his plans or even, you know, continuing to function and keep the government open. So I think the real test will come early next year. Republican House member Chip Roy had a bit to say about the Republican caucus. 
conference. Let's have a listen. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. Alex, is this reaching into the American uh, voters? Are, are they seeing this um, chaos and that Republicans on the Hill are, are spending most of their time up there fighting and then passing CRs? I think somewhat, uh, but we have. I think it's it's always hard for us to escape the uh, you know immense amount of information that we consume, which is way disproportionate to what normal, ordinary Americans who are busy with their lives do. I, I think they see a lot of uh, chaos and confusion and deadlock, but I'm not sure that they necessarily blame one side more clearly than the others, or that they're following the ins and out. I think there's just a lot of kind of frustration. I mean, you know, Congress's approval rating has been at like around 10% for a decade or more. Uh, and so I think there's just a tendency to kind of throw up your hands and, you know, be mad at the entire system, uh, which is obviously not what Democrats want from this. But it's really hard to explain these kinds of nuance and intricacies, let alone what a CR is, let alone what a laddered CR is to most Americans. Uh, and so I think it, you know, I think those kinds of outbursts help communicate it, especially from somebody like Chip Roy, who's, you know, not a, uh, a, a known as like a moderate squish, but um, I think it's still really hard to, to communicate this fully to people who don't, who aren't following this closely. So we had this sort of fizzle out, but then we had just a number of odd near fights on the Hill this weekend. Um, let's hear first from Tim Burchette, congressman from Tennessee. Got elbowed in the back and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys. And I turned back and there was there was Kevin. He's a, he's a bully with $17 million in a security detail. You know, he's the type of guy that when you're a kid, would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind its mama's skirt. Well, that was Burchette. Now let's hear from McCarthy, uh, who came back and responded uh, to this. If I kidney punch him, he'd be on the ground. <laughs> Igor, what what was going on between Burchette and a former Speaker of the House this week? Well, you really saw the personal animosity that has resulted in all this Speaker drama. Burchette, uh, the congressman, was one of the eight who voted to oust, one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy as speaker. And so you still see all these um, tensions and, and McCarthy not yet being over what happened. Um, he's clearly mad that he was put out of a job by, quote, the hateful eight, as he calls them, and Burchette being one of them. And so you had this alleged shove and Burchette getting uh, you know, quite upset and running after McCarthy down the halls causing all this drama um, really tells you where the House Republican conference is that um, just because they have a new speaker in Mike Johnson doesn't mean that their uh, their troubles are over yet and that people have long memories and this won't be forgotten anytime soon. Let me follow up that. I mean, you talk about long memories. Are we still just in Mike Johnson's honeymoon and we're, we're already seeing it start to fray? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, he's definitely burning a lot of cred right now in, in the way he has handled this um, 
bill to avert the shutdown uh, this week, uh, where you know he did not include any cuts that conservatives wanted to see. He lost some 90 Republican votes um, on this bill, which is almost half of the Republican conference, which is a very sizable number. And it's the same kind of margin that McCarthy, uh, you know, saw losing on, on these similar types of bills that, and that led to his ouster. So um, at the moment, I don't, I don't see House Republicans willing to go through, you know, rounds and rounds of speaker drama uh, again. But in the next year, if if Johnson doesn't produce some kind of, uh, you know, um, cuts that conservatives would like to see, uh, he could potentially face a, another ouster vote himself. Amanda, does the, how, he'll need to do anything this year. I mean, we sort of the clock the next year, the, the calendar changes to 2024. We all start thinking about campaigns. Um, is there the window closed on them? And, and then it's just a matter of passing CRs to get them past election day, or can they do something? I mean, they still have stuff they need to get done. I mean, they have the farm bill to reauthorize. They're still working on the NDAA. So if they're just done (laughs) until re-election, there's going to be a lot still left on the table. And I don't know how that's going to look to voters when they go to cast cast their votes. Um, So I think that they actually still have a a substantial list of things to do, um, even if it's the bare minimum that they would like to do in order to go back to their districts and run for re-election. To be clear, this wasn't the only um, spat we had on the Hill. Let's listen to what happened on the Senate side with Mark Wayne Mullen. Quit the tough guy act and these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your Sorry. solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, okay. okay. Sit down, please. Bernie Sanders, the peacekeeper. What was going on here? The Bernie, the voice of reason, the adult in the room, to, telling everyone to to just cool it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I saw a Republican tweet. You know, I never thought I would utter the words. Thank God, Bernie Sanders was on hand to cool down the situation. But uh, this is welcome to the United States Congress in the year twenty twenty three. I mean, you know it. It's just like when you stack dysfunction on top of dysfunction, uh, a political environment that, as our colleagues wrote uh, yesterday, rewards bloodlust. You know, you look at the rhetoric that a lot of these Republican presidential candidates are are talking about. It's it's very uh, bloody. It's about violence. Uh, And these are humans, you know, who have ambitions and egos, fragile egos often. And... uh, it's it's kind of remarkable in a way if you like think about historically that members of Congress haven't come to blows more often. Uh, it speaks to the strength of the institutions and the the kind of values that have kept things at bay. I mean, th- because there have been incidents of violence uh, on the floors of the House and Senate. You know, not the cha- the the caning of Charles Sumner is the most famous, but there's been tons of it. There's a whole book about it. Um, and I, you know, it's unfortunately indicative of this moment that those those kinds of norms and values are eroding that kept that at bay. Um, and, you know, good for, good for Bernie Sanders to be there. But maybe maybe Bernie won't always be there to to uh, be the, the principal uh, in the high school cafeteria. 
um, or somebody else won't. And, you know, whether these, I'm sure these guys are just posturing. I doubt they're actually going to do it, but you never know. And it, it does, in this climate, it does just feel like any day. Um, I, I, it wouldn't, if, if we, if any of us heard that there was a fight that broke out between two members of Congress, we would be surprised, we'd be stunned, we would be, you know, but we wouldn't be shocked. It, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't like come out of left field. It would sort of make sense, unfortunately. I just wanted to note that, you know, Mullen was a former MMA fighter um, and who, you know, is quite jacked, I would say. If you see him walking around, like, I, I wouldn't want to go up against that guy. He's a little, you know, he, he doesn't really have much height, but he is stocky. And I, I don't know, I, I could see him throwing down in a, in a Senate hearing. He's got the experience. But before we leave House our, and congressional Republicans, we have to talk about George Santos. Uh, Igor, we saw uh, this ethics report come out yesterday, getting into some charges against him, um, making more recommendations for charges to the Department of Justice. There was Botox. There was Ferragamo. There was only fans. What what was in that report? What more can you say about this guy that 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 you can't say? <laughs> he's clearly a fraud. Um, he's lied about everything on his resume. He he's a serial fabulist. Um, he's got no shame. And I think that's kind of the through line here that more and more of the people who are coming to Congress are just unable to be shamed into to bowing out to resigning to even, you know, holding themselves to a higher standard. Um, and unfortunately, as we've been talking about dysfunction and chaos, uh, the kinds of people that are coming up here to Capitol Hill are are not not as reasonable as in past decades, perhaps reflecting where our politics and our, our uh, the people who vote us in, uh, who vote their lawmakers in are right now. So, uh, you know, Santos, uh, the Botox, the claiming that he had a Maserati, uh, it would all be funny. It is funny if it wasn't, you know, actual campaign contributions that he was spending on, the, on these things. And it's illegal and it's a breach of trust as constituents. Um, and, uh, the guy I think is going to reap what he sowed. And by reap what he sowed, Amanda, we found out, he said he's not going to run for reelection. Um, could, could he be gone from Washington sooner? Uh, if he resigns or his colleagues kick him out. Um, and it actually looks like, you know, when all these details came out in the ethics, um, report this week. Obviously, we already knew some of this stuff about Santos. He's been under investigation for a while now. Um, they already, you know, uh, thought, you know, tried to kind of explore the idea of getting him out once. But I think it's just getting to a point where if he doesn't have the good sense to resign, there could actually be movement to do uh, to get him out um, in a way that isn't of his own free will. And I at least certainly would want to uh, take myself out rather than have other people do it for me. But I think that just remains to be seen. But um, I would think there's a pretty good chance he is not still around a year from now. So the Republicans weren't the only ones um, that had some issues, showed some divisions on the Hill. This week, uh, we saw protesters at the DNC um, clash with police and what was a really dramatic moment. Alex, you've been writing about this growing division uh, within the Democratic Party on Israel and Hamas and how President Biden is responding. Um, is this a flashpoint and a bigger thing? Is, are, are we not 
grasping how much and how deep this division is opening up? I, I think to some extent they, that we're, we're not. I mean, the, this is a, a, a clearly now a case where uh, at least a large section of the Democratic Party base is in a very different position than the party's leadership, which has been, you know, um, almost entirely pro-Israel siding with Israel in this conflict. Um there was even before the Hamas terror attack in March, there was a Gallup poll that showed Democrats, Democratic voters for the first time since they've been asking this, were more sympathetic to the Palestinians than to the Israelis. So that was the the context going into uh, the attack. And then everything that happened has, I think, only further inflamed that division and um, increased pro-Palestinian sympathy among liberals and, and Democratic voters. Uh, you know the people who were doing this protest at the DNC. That that's like the the far edge, the most you know extreme tip of the spear. Uh, I think most liberals are not going to put themselves in a human chain around the DNC to to protest this or anything. But um, I I do think that those activists see a wedge and they're trying to hammer it in with actions like that. They're, they're intentionally trying to highlight this contrast and this division. They're trying to make things uncomfortable uh, for the members of Congress who were inside the, the DNC then, which is why the police uh, responded as they did. Um, and, and the party leadership, I mean, you know, the DNC has nothing to do with foreign policy. They don't make policy. They, they like raise money. They're, they're far more impotent than most uh, liberals tend to think the DNC actually is. Um, it's an, you know, but it's a symbolic, I, I, I think they know, I assume the activists who targeted the DNC knew that. Uh, and they thought, you know, they couldn't do the, they were trying to block the entrances to the, to the DNC. I assume they didn't think they could do that at the white house, but um it's just yet another in this kind of drumbeat of uh, of, of evidence that that shows this division and um, the Biden White House Democratic leaders on Capitol. I don't think they've really quite figured out how to navigate it, and I don't think we know where it lands uh, or or what ultimately happens with it because it's such a, a fluid situation on the ground uh, in Israel. Uh, and you know, I, I, as I've written about, there's enormous dissent among Muslim voters who backed Biden overwhelmingly um, that could really hurt him in, in swing states. But I think we also need to pay attention to young voters who polls show are, are in a very different place than most older generations on this issue. Uh, and then just kind of your your liberal progressives. You know, those people are they're cross pressured in so many ways. Like they, they I, I think mostly will vote for Democrats regardless because of a host of other issues. But there are a, a decent number of people who this might be a a kind of single issue, not just Muslim voters, but um, some younger voters too, and it just speaks to, in their mind, the larger out of stepness generationally and ideologically with Democratic Party leaders and them. Well, well, let's then jump in to twenty twenty four. There's still so much going on. Let's talk Republicans first. Uh, Nikki Haley um, had what was considered a strong debate performance um, last week. Um, I, Igor, can she, can she make this a two-person race with Trump, or is she still so far away um, that that's not really a possibility? I think she can definitely make it a two-person race if the field um, consolidates. Uh, as you, and you saw this week, um, on Sunday, Tim Scott, Senator from South Carolina, had announced uh, 
surprise uh, decision that he was dropping out. Uh, really, I, I thought he would go at least to Iowa. He had, you know, centered his campaign on his message of optimism and hope, and uh, his his standing with evangelical voters would perhaps, you know, have a path in Iowa. And, and he clearly saw that wasn't the case. He he really didn't make any kinds of inroads um, at all there. Uh, so, you know, I think she can make it a two-person race. Is it going to be a competitive two-person race? It, it clearly doesn't look like it right now. Some people would say that perhaps the primary is already over, given the kind of numbers that Trump is posting in polls in New Hampshire. You know, you had a couple polls out this week that had him uh, up 20 points, more than 20 points over Haley in New Hampshire. Um, so whether she can, you know, go the distance, it'll be perhaps I would compare it to a, a situation where, you know, in 20, in 2016, uh, you had Trump and Ted Cruz, you know, the, the more conservative uh, option uh, going head to head, you know, in, into the later primary months, March, April, June. Uh, but clearly Trump just had the, the, the dominating um, factor and was able to to carry the nomination this time around he's even uh, has more has more has a bigger standing with republican voters so i i don't see um a high likelihood of anybody else grabbing the nomination right now amanda haley is maybe the most successful woman candidate we've seen on the republican side so far um she doesn't often highlight that, but she did during last week's debate make the joke about her heels. Um, is there some ability, particularly as we understand how Trump does with women, that she could start to rally the women of the Republican Party to her side? I don't think it's out of the question. I mean, as he just said, you know, the polling shows Trump's strength, but there's also a lot of unknown factors about Trump right now. Like we don't know what's going to happen with his various indictments. Uh, he's also, uh, you know, not young. Um, there could be health issues or worse. Um, and I think that if she can stay in, um, she could be well positioned to start to pick up more support. And also because she tends to, you know, come off the best, at least I think from watching her, the more the other candidates in the race are in chaos and fighting with one another, she almost alone has been able to kind of rise above that. And I'm thinking if it was the second, I forget if it was the first or second Republican debate in the climate change um, exchange when all of the men were kind of shouting at one another and she was just kind of standing over to the side like, you've got to be kidding me. And I think that, you know, I mean, look at what we've been talking about so far today, like fistfights on Capitol Hill. And I know that's not the presidential, but this is kind of indicative of an overall chaotic element in our politics right now. And I think that Haley could um, be poised to, you know, take advantage of that. Well, we have lots more to talk about, including Trump, uh, which we will get to after a short break on the Bill Press Pod Reporters Roundtable. I am Ginger Gibson with NBC News. Sitting in for Bill, along with Alex Seitzwald, Amanda Becker, and Igor Bobik. Today's podcast brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Yes, those good men and women, 1.3 million working men and women strong members of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone, 
they service all of us in many, many different ways at our big retail stores like Nordstrom and Macy's. The people that take care of us at our great grocery chains like Safeway and Whole Foods. Those on the front line in our meat and poultry processing plants, chemical plants, and cannabis plants. We thank the men and women of the UFCW for their great work taking care of all of us Americans, and we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Go to their website, check it out at ufcw.org. You'll be amazed at all the good causes they're involved in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back on the Bill Presspod Reporters Roundtable. I'm Ginger Gibson from NBC News, sitting in for Bill along with Amanda Becker from 19th News, Igor Bobic from HuffPost, and Alex Seitzwald, my colleague from NBC News. We're talking about Nikki Haley. Um, Amanda, I want to stick with you. We saw a new Trump ad um, in Iowa this week. Let's listen to it. President Trump didn't just promise to be a trusted conservative. He delivered. Trump nominated conservative judges, leading to Roe v. Wade being overturned and returned to the states. He is touting his abortion decision. Amanda, who is writing a book about how this decision has played out, um, does this help him solidify, you know, shore up some of those those problems he has, build on his strengths, or is this really just a, a a big issue for him in the general election that he's reminding people about? You know, the interesting thing about Trump, and I would also direct listeners to another podcast that I love to listen to, which is Sarah Longwell, the Bulwark's um, focus group podcast, because it just has a lot of really interesting voter voices in there. And the episode that came out last week, I think it it comes out on Saturdays, um, was about Trump and abortion. And on this issue in particular, and I think this applies generally, but, but really to Trump and abortion, Trump has been all over the place, right? Like before he ran for president the the first time, um, he was, you know, pro-choice to use the word that was in vogue back then for that position. Um, Then, you know, he became this darling of the evangelical and the anti-abortion movements. Um, And I think 
voters don't really know what to think of him to a certain extent on this issue. And he did deliver, you know, the fall of Roe by appointing three conservative justices. But I think that in a way, voters project what they want to believe he believes onto Trump when it comes to abortion. And that's what uh, Sarah Longwell was getting into um, based on all the conversations she had with voters, because he's been all over the place. So if you are already predisposed to like Trump, I don't think that if, uh, you know, he might disagree with you in this moment on abortion or he's doing something about abortion that doesn't, um, you know, comport with what you would like. I don't think that's necessarily a deal breaker because I think people are able to make the case to themselves that, you know, well, he might be saying this one thing today, but I know that he really believes me. You know, he's with me on this. We have heard from Trump um, some really surprising things over over the entire time. Um, but even recently, a comment calling his opponents vermin, um, a, a post on True Social um, suggesting he would institutionalize um, some of the prosecutors against him. Uh, are we seeing a shift in his rhetoric when it, when it comes to these things? I don't think it's a shift. I mean, he's had these kinds of outbursts throughout his presidency. Um, you know, he, he may be getting... He may be leaning into it a little bit more now, um, but I, I don't see it as a shift. He said pretty outrageous and disgusting and racist things throughout his time as a candidate and, as, and in office. Uh, of course, the latest one is him calling his Democratic opponents vermin, which a lot of people um, you know, uh, saw echoes of authoritarian language that people like Hitler and Mussolini have used, the Biden campaign and had had slammed him over it um and you know not just that you had quote poisoning the blood uh him referring to immigrants that, that are you know tainting the pool of the american electorate so to say um and all these kinds of comments that that really just uh, are beyond the pale for um for american politics uh something that you would see you know in a foreign country perhaps that Trump is bringing here now. And, uh, you know, the, the reaction, of course, is, is predictable as any other uh, comment that landed Trump in hot water, especially among Republicans, is they, you know, they kind of roll their eyes and shrug and uh, we the news cycle just goes on. You know, I spoke with Lindsey Graham, a uh, senator from South Carolina, one of Trump's biggest uh, fans, uh, biggest critics turned into fans uh, who said he wouldn't use that kind of language, but it's a free country. Um, you know, I spoke to Senator Marco Rubio this week about Trump using that kind of language. And Rubio said, you know, it's unfair to compare Trump to Hitler because Hamas is the real Hitler. Um, so things like that where, you know, Republicans really aren't showing any sign of uh, breaking with him again and, and are wanting him to, uh, to become president. Alex, when we look at the things that Trump is saying, the comments that he's making. You know, Igor just said most voters seem to be brushing them off as just another Trump remark. Do Democrats try, do they want to try to convince voters otherwise that that these are not just normal things to be said? Well, Democrats are certainly going to try to convince voters that uh, th this is, you know, problematic. But I actually don't think that will be their their main focus. I think there's been a big shift in their strategy in countering Trump since 2016, 
when Hillary Clinton really did kind of prosecute the person of Donald Trump against him. You know, that, that famous ad that she ran that her campaign loved, uh, but it ended up not doing much of anything of children watching Trump's language on TV and then asking, you know, how would your, do you want your kids to see this as their president? Uh, the, the deplorables, the, the, they, they've concluded that Democrats have concluded that, you know, trying to convince Americans that Donald Trump is a bad guy is just not effective. Uh, they either agree with it or accept it, but are still willing to kind of hold their nose and vote for him, or they just disregard it entirely because of the messenger of who it's coming from. So instead, I think you can expect to see the Biden campaign and Democrats actually do the opposite of treating Trump more like a standard Republican, like a Mitt Romney, where I, I think they're going to focus a lot more on you know, Social Security and Medicare and uh, tax cuts to the wealthy and you know, his, his fat cat lobbyist friends uh, on Wall Street benefiting while you, you know, working people struggle. Um, I'm, I'm sure there will still be plenty of Donald Trump is a bad guy and you shouldn't vote for him. But I think they kind of see that as already baked into the cake. I mean, he's the, the best messenger for his own rhetoric. They don't feel like they need to amplify it. And it didn't really work when they, when they did. So it, it, you know, Biden spoke out against this, but notably he spoke out against uh, Trump's vermin remarks at a fundraiser in San Francisco. So like, who's his audience there? It's not swing voters in Michigan. It's liberals in San Francisco who he wants to give him money. Uh, and I, I don't think you'll see it. You know, it will be in there. It will be certainly be part of the message, but I don't think it will be the core of Biden's message uh, in 2024. Let's shift gears one more time um, and talk about the thing that is really on the minds of everyone in Washington, President Biden and President Xi uh, of Jinping of China uh, met this week in San Francisco. And after the meeting, President Xi surprised the White House by announcing everyone's furry friends, Igor, are coming back to the United States. Is it true? Uh, one can only hope. Um uh, I did see that, and I'm, I was pleasantly surprised, but I thought we were, you know, out of pandas, and it was going to be a, a dearth of pandas uh, for um, every Washingtonian since, you know, at the time I've lived in D.C., the pandas have been there, um, and they're a great treat to, to go see, but um, apparently we'll be getting some back. Now, uh, you know, knowing Xi, Xi and, and China and how they operate, uh, my guess would be they're going to want something in return. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be a gift as it was in, in, back in the 70s. Uh, so we'll see. Amanda, can you help us, those who are not inside D.C., understand how it is that, that we have lost our pandas um, and, and what this panda diplomacy uh, is all about? So I actually found out about the panda situation on Halloween because a friend of mine dressed up as a panda and had... Um, an evicted sign hung around her neck. Um, and so apparently they were on loan all this time. But I mean, Washington has been having a complete identity crisis losing these pandas. There's like panda branding on so much stuff here. Um, but it's my understanding that if the United States does get the pandas back, and by the way, they not only took back obviously the original pandas from the 70s, but all 
um, progeny of those pandas um, because they'd essentially outsourced their breeding program um, to the United States. Um, that if we do get them back, they will not be coming back to Washington. They'll be going to San Diego. Now, as an animal lover, um, I actually really prefer the San Diego Zoo, so that makes me happier for the pandas. But, um, you know, I don't know what Washington is going to do because that's not going to solve our identity crisis here. Yeah, so um, the the pandas, as the panda has said, are all controlled by China. And they said San Diego gets some first bit. I think we could hold out hope in Washington that they change their mind here. But Alex, putting aside the fun that is the pandas and our ability to visit them with our children at the zoo here in the United States, this Biden and G meeting uh, th- we have seen Trump talk so much about China uh, and China policy and how he would treat China. Um, is a meeting, is this sit down with Xi, is some restoration of some shuttered diplomatic channels, particularly that were that were really damaged um, during COVID, is this a point in Biden's favor or Um, Is this something Trump criticizes him for in the long run? It's a good question. And I think the answer is both. Um, I I think this is definitely, I mean, it is literally a restoration of uh, diplomatic channels that have been abandoned. They, one of the things they agreed to was to uh, reinstate what, when the Cold War was called the red phone, you know, basically a direct line between the, the leaders of both countries so that they can always get through to each other. Um, in case of emergency, that was not available during the uh, spy balloon, the Chinese spy balloon. So, you know, that was kind of cited as an example of why they need to be able to continue to, to have these kind of back channel communications. Uh, and, you know, I think this is the kind of thing that Biden, a former chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, would say is critical to American interest. You have to meet with even your rivals. Uh, and he also revived speaking of long dead uh, diplomatic channels, he, he revived Ronald Reagan's line of trust, but verify literally quoting it uh, on what, on how he would handle these agreements with China. But uh, without a doubt, Trump and Republicans are going to criticize Biden for doing anything even remotely uh, perceived or, or, or portrayable as uh, soft on China or negotiating with China or anything other than a hardline military sense. I don't, and it's not really about policy. It's about, you know, posture and about trying to portray uh, Biden as weak as uh, maybe a closet communist or a closet socialist. Um, And, you know, in their mind, China is the big enemy that has to be just totally countered. So I think Biden would say, you know, he's doing this regardless of the political outcome or the political um, fallout and maybe swing voters like it. But I think, um, you know, this is one of those cases where where both sides will have something to talk about and brag about in the, the different universes that they exist in. Such is our political moment. Everyone will declare a victory. Uh, great talking with you all today. I'm Ginger Gibson from NBC News. Sitting in for Bill, along with Alex Seitzwald, Amanda Becker, and Igor Bobik. Now it's time for our reporters to share their favorite story of the week. Something that caught their attention beyond the big headlines, or just something they wanted to share with all of you. Uh, Alex, why don't you go first? Uh, happily, uh, mine is actually a, a book, um, a new book that came out this week. I hope that's acceptable in the criteria. 
But um, as Ginger, my editor, knows, I have a fondness for all things UFOs and, um, you know, conspiracy theory, X-Files related. Uh, and Garrett Graff, who's a great writer, journalist, and, and um, you know, disclosure, a friend of mine, also just came out with this a new book uh, that was released Tuesday called um, uh, UFO, the Inside Story of the U.S. Government's Search for Alien Life Here and Out There. Uh, and I have just started it, but it's it's very fun. And um, I loved Garrett's book on the Cold War, which was called something like how the U.S. government planned to save itself while the rest of us died. So he has a great combination of like deep research and, you know, foyering and uncovering stuff that has been forgotten forever. And he's like really well sourced in the intelligence world, but also a great sense of humor and just a, a perfect touch um, for these kinds of topics. So I'm very excited to read this. Amanda? So my story of the week, um, you know, I never choose anything fun on here. People who listen to this know that. Um, so mine is was in the Wall Street Journal. It was a Rebecca Ballhouse story. And she um, is one of the reporters who was on the Wall Street Journal team that won the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for revealing um, Trump had paid off women during his presidential campaign. Um, they published a story this week in the Wall Street Journal, the title Strip Clubs, Lewd Photos in a Boozy Hotel, The Toxic Atmosphere at Bank Regulator FDIC. Um, I don't know that I expected this sort of behavior from the FDIC. I mean, this is behavior that was happening after the Me Too kind of movement in 2017 and 2018, um, it's pretty egregious. Um, apparently, you know, dozens of women have quit over this. Um, the men in question who are, you know, encouraging people to drink whiskey during work, um, texting women photos of their genitals. I mean, this is not subtle stuff. So, this is just kind of like a, a jaw-dropping story to me, including apparently that the FDIC has an entire hotel right outside of Washington where their bank um, examiners and trainings stay. And there's an Instagram account. And I guess like this, the, the saying is, if you haven't puked off the roof of this hotel, were you really ever a bank examiner in training? So um, I just, I was kind of floored by this story this week. I used to live across the street from there, and, and it shocked me to read it. Uh, it is an important read. Um, how about you, Igor? Uh, I um, want to bring up the biggest news this week, uh, which is that, I don't know if you guys saw, uh, Snoop Dogg, our, um, our national legend, announced yesterday he was, quote, giving up smoke. Um, and he said, after much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. Please respect my privacy at this time. Now, for people who aren't somehow familiar with Snoop Dogg, um, you know, uh, he smokes a lot. Um, you know, it's all over his music, his music videos. Uh, you don't really see him anywhere without a, a joint or blunt in hand. Uh, so I'm not really sure yet. Uh, I'm, I'm planning to do some deep research into what, quote, giving up smoke means, um, you know, perhaps a loophole in there in terms of um, things you can consume without smoke. Uh, but I'll be I'll be, you know, doing a deep dive in this today. That's my my entire focus. 
we'll be waiting to hear back. Uh, Amanda turned me on to Snoop's um, children's music, uh, which if others have not listened to, also worth a deep dive, even yeah. if you don't have a child. I highly recommend. <laughs> yes, it's very it's affirmations. It's like my daily Snoop affirmations. This and is... I will also say there's also a Snoop on a shelf that I really want for the holidays. He is selling like his version of Elf on a Shelf, but it's himself. And <laughs> whoever would like to buy that for me, I will accept it as a gift. I've got to get that. This has become I, this <laughs> new podcast. Love it. It's, it's, I was going to say, it's like Brinks, like uh, Bruce Springsteen announcing he's quitting music. You know, it's, this is huge. Big news. Bill Press is out for a minute and it's, uh, it's the Snoopcast. <laughs> well, um, on that note, I will bring us back to a somber but really great read for my recommendation of the week. Um, Lawrence Hurley, a fantastic reporter on our team at NBC News, has a new piece out this morning, the first of a series looking at uh, a decision the Supreme Court made last year. Kind of didn't get a lot of attention because it happened right in the middle of Dobbs, um, but has made it virtually impossible uh, to sue a federal official for violating your constitutional rights. Um, he went to the border to talk to a family whose brother and uncle was killed by Border Patrol p- police um, earlier this year in what is really harrowing body uh, cam footage to watch um, of him being shot less than 30 seconds after they encounter him in the dark. Um, and he delved into the legal piece here, why this family is so frustrated, cannot get um, to even file uh, and, and seek a lawsuit that would, uh, would be a de- complete dead end um, and their frustrations. It's the first uh, in this series. I recommend staying tuned uh, for the rest of the series, but a really great read if you're looking for something this weekend. It's called The Untouchables, um, and it delves into uh, what this case has done over the last year, and it is available on NBCNews.com. That's a wrap for this edition of the Bill Press Pod Reporters Roundtable. Our thanks to you for listening and to my colleague at NBC News, uh, senior digital reporter Alex Seitzwald, Igor Bobic, senior political reporter for HuffPost, and Amanda Becker, politics and Washington reporter for 19 News. I'm Ginger Gibson, senior Washington editor at NBC News Digital, sitting in for Bill. Bill will be back next Tuesday with a special treat, an interview with the man who created and ran the Kennedy Center Honors for 38 years, George Stevens Jr. Stevens was a producer and director in Hollywood. He has a few great stories to tell, including one about a young Elizabeth Taylor. I can't wait to hear that one. That's next Tuesday on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks for listening.